Hello, and welcome to the Civic Duty Podcast, hosted by Mark Jeffries. Now, each week, we take a look at some of the major questions, problems, and situations facing our society. And together, we try to find a way to resolve these things. And sometimes, the resolution is just a conversation. But we'll never know until we have it. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy. Thank you for tuning in to Civic Duty. I have an exciting show lined up for you. My name is Mark Jeffries, and today I'll be interviewing a man by the name of Eric Schechter, who is a political leftist and a retired math professor. I'm a retired professor of mathematics. Uh, my interest in politics and political things, I guess I would say, started pretty close to the time when uh, my reti- I was approaching retirement. And there are a lot of reasons for that, but it's mostly just personal reasons. Mm-hmm. A lot of what changes people is just things that happen in their personal lives. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> my personal political awakening began in 2006, and I've changed a lot since then. I think in 2006, I saw things, I think I saw things, and before then, I think I saw things the way that most of our society sees things, and since then, my viewpoint has gradually changed until now. It's very different from what the way most people see the world. Mm-hmm. I... Uh, I have very different ideas. I would have to describe myself as a radical, or maybe some people would see me as a crackpot. Uh, <laughs> of course, I happen to think that I'm right. When I spoke to Eric, I was particularly interested in his political primary, which has seven topics. And so in our call, I asked him to talk briefly about those seven topics. Just to hit the... the seven topics in a very brief session. The first topic is talking about beginners. You have all these beginners. The second topic says you've been surrounded by lies. Everything around us is, is all just a lie. Uh, and it takes a while to figure out the truth. third topic is that global warming is much worse than the corporate news media tells you. And uh, it's partly because the government is doing too less, is doing too little because they're bought off by business. And partly because the market is not very wise or efficient because of externalized costs, which nobody talks about when they're praising capitalism. But externalized costs are inevitable in any business transaction, and they are not a good thing. Uh, Then the fourth topic is that the economy may collapse for a variety of reasons quite soon. Uh, Fifth topic is that all the wars are based on lies. Uh, Sixth topic, I already mentioned, we're misled about human nature. And finally, seventh topic, reforms are not enough. And on the point of reforms not being enough, I would go back to something you said at the beginning of this conversation. I think you said you would like to make the world a little bit better. 
And my personal opinion is that you can't make the little world the world a little better. You either have to make it a lot better, or else just quit. Because uh, I think that the partial measures just aren't going to work. It's like you can't light a match gradually, and you can't be half pregnant. There's some yeah. things, there's some kinds of changes that can't be done gradually and can't be done part way. And the kinds of changes that our society needs are changes of both sorts. You can't do, I don't, I think you can't do them gradually. What, what, would, what do you suggest, I mean, young activists do um, to, to kind of, you know, do something to, I guess, save the planet, save us from all these devastating consequences? Because I can tell you right now, the the leaders in the movement, what they're telling us is that, you know, this fight, it's a long-term battle. This isn't like a lifetime commitment. When I was at the Poor People's Campaign, I sat beside people who were in it, you know, 50 years ago with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. So I, you know, have I in it for the long haul because I've been conditioned to think that it's a long-term project and that, it's not instant gratification, but it's constant fighting and constant struggle. So what do you say to that? Well, I would say that what we really need is a change of awareness, uh, um, mm-hmm. not just the, of the leaders, but a, a change of awareness of the public. They need to see, well, a simplification would be to say that the problem is capitalism. It's mm-hmm. oversimplifying a little bit, but it's a good first approximation. Capitalism mm-hmm. is the problem, and until people see that, we're not going to fix it. And when people see that, when an awful lot of people see that, when most people see that, then we can fix it. And so what we need is to get more people to see that. And that could be a very quick change. It's like turning on a light. When you walk into a room and there's a switch next to the door, you flip the switch and all of a sudden the light goes on. Ideas usually don't spread that fast, but they could. There's no physical law that says an idea can't spread quickly. There isn't something like gravity holding it back. In principle, good ideas can spread quickly. They just usually don't. Uh, I'm just hoping this one will, because if it doesn't spread soon, we're all doomed. Uh, capitalism is the reason that the civil rights movement is taking so long. Capitalism is the reason that global warming is getting so bad. Capitalism is the reason we have all these wars. Uh, I could go on and on. All the problems in the world. So at this point, I want to jump in and just let you guys know that Eric's opinion on this is a little bit more nuanced. So capitalism itself isn't just the root of all evil, as as it seems in this point. But also I want to make it clear that I'm engaging with him because I'm interested in his point of view, but I don't necessarily agree with those views. And that's the way the show is going to go as a whole. So I'll engage with people with different opinions because I believe that's how we develop as people. Not necessarily because I agree with them, and I feel like I should be giving them a platform. Can I? So I'm I'm on your website, and there's a a, a myths of capitalism page, and I just want to talk a little bit about some of those things because I've heard these express these sentiments expressed commonly throughout society. One, the first one is you know that the the rich get that way by being smarter than us, and that you know we should accept everything that they give us is great wisdom um can you talk a little bit about that but i also want you to talk about that the poor are that way because of their own actions or that they deserve to be poor which is the inverse yeah well but, but neither of those is true 
in the case of the rich, some of them are smart at one thing. Uh, people who are good at one thing, they're not necessarily good at everything else. Uh, I'm good at mathematics. I'm not good at playing tennis. I mean, I'm a retired professor of mathematics. I was good at mathematics. That does not make me an expert on tennis. Uh, you know, the fact that somebody has done well at one thing doesn't mean they're good at something else. The rich, we're good at, being, at making themselves rich. That doesn't mean they're good at making the rest of the world healthy. Uh, and as for the poor, generally they've been deprived of opportunities. They are the people that the rich stole from. Uh, if you look at look at it this way, nobody becomes a millionaire while living alone on, a, on an island. Uh, you know, you, if you have a, if you live in the life of Robinson Crusoe, if you get stranded on an island where nobody else is living there, maybe you could maybe you could build yourself make yourself an axe, and maybe cut down some trees, and you could build yourself a hut. And you might eventually have a pretty comfortable life for yourself, although it would take a while to make it. But you'd never be rich. You would never actually be a millionaire or a billionaire just from the efforts you make by yourself on that island. Uh, the only way you'd make, become a millionaire or a billionaire is by harnessing not only your own work, but the work of an awful lot of other people. And the reason the boss in your company is making more money than you is because he's standing between you and the money. Yeah. Uh, we don't get paid. In, in our society, we get told that we get paid according to how hard we work or we get paid according to how much we produce. But neither of those is true. We get paid according to how much we control. That's what we get paid for, how much we control. And uh, people get control of things because they were given it by their parents or because they steal it. Them to be in the right place at the right time to steal something. Uh, you take Bill Gates, who was one of the richest people in the world. There was a great movie about uh, how he made his money. Uh, no, I don't know if it was in the movie. Let me think. It wasn't. It wasn't because he was such a genius that he came up with uh, the operating system all by himself. What he did was IBM was looking for an operating system for their personal computers, and Bill Gates found an operating system that already existed, uh, CPM. He bought a version of it that was available cheap, made a few minor modifications in it, sold it to IBM, but included in the contract, included in the sales contract, the condition that he could still market, uh, what was it? He could still sell it to other people. As he was selling it to IBM, but he still had the right to sell it to other people as well. Something, something like that. I'm not sure if I'm getting the details right. But this meant that IBM, which was already a famous computer company at the time, they, they made the software famous, and then he went on and sold it to other people. And that's what made him rich. He was actually riding on the fame that IBM had already achieved. And so he was in the right place at the right time. He didn't do much of the work himself. He was doing more work as a lawyer than as a uh, computer programmer when he did that. People think, oh, he was a brilliant computer programmer. That's not what happened. It was just he was a very clever lawyer. So I looked into this story, and what I can find is that Microsoft did make a significant amount of money from their partnership with IBM but also that they had already made a million dollars just from their operating system before they even partnered with IBM. Can you talk about one of the other things that's listed on the myth 
is that capitalism has lifted millions of people out of poverty and out of hunger. Um, can you talk about why you consider that a myth and then, I guess, you know, speak to your truth on, on the subject? Well, uh, there have been a lot of good things. There have been a lot of good things and bad things happening in the world in the last century or two. And some people point to those, the good things, and say, look what capitalism gave us. And that's, that's just not right. That's, uh, capitalism, the, the system that we, most people would call capitalism, began around the same time as what we would call modern science and technology. And science and technology was not caused by capitalism. If there is any connection between them, you might say that Capitalism was a side effect of science and technology, but it wasn't that you, you can't give capitalism credit for the ideas of science. That would be like saying, you know, you should give me credit for all the music that Stevie Wonder created because he and I were born in the same year. Uh, you know, it's because I was there that he came up with that music. I could claim that. That's, that's really not true. I had nothing to do with Stevie Wonder's music. Uh, and capitalism didn't have much to do with the things that science and technology came up with. It just had to be there at the time. Gotcha. Uh, and then I guess the last thing I wanted to ask about is in this uh, political primer, it says uh, our society has enough resources to end poverty, uh, which I agree, but that doesn't happen because it wouldn't profit the rulers. And if you're not ready to end private property, then your calls for equity are just noises. So I'm really curious about the private property um, part. Do you? How do you? How do you see private property? I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, if people were to give up their private property, how would you imagine that could be distributed so that everyone could have? could have, you know, like a, at least a place to live. Because to be honest, it's a shame that in the richest country in the history of the world, we still have people who don't even have homes. Yeah, but you know, there are a lot more empty homes than there are homeless people in this country. Mm -hmm. I think that there are something like six times as many empty homes as there are homeless people. So you could uh, give every homeless person two houses and you still have plenty of them left over. Um, wow. As for the... Uh, Redistributing property. I mean, that, there's one example. The fact is that it's not like, like some of us would have to give up a lot of stuff. The rich people, the richest people, they would have to give up some stuff if we all share. But most of us uh, wouldn't have to. Most of us could keep our material possessions that we already have, and we would work fewer hours, uh, and we would work at jobs we like instead of jobs we don't like. Uh, really, it would it would be an improvement for most people. Just a few rich people would would uh, not like the changes we would make. And the reason that that's necessary is because as long as you have private property, you're going to have trade. You're going to have people trading money for goods or services, or trading rent money for the use of space or use of equipment, or trading uh, money for labor or uh, something like that. I mean, there are all these different kinds of trades that go on. All of those trades, they always favor the trader in the stronger bargaining position. Mm -hmm. They give him more of the profit. I mean, 
when you have a trade, both both traders benefit, or else they wouldn't be doing the trade. But they don't necessarily benefit the same amount. One of them might be benefiting just barely enough to stay alive. He might be making a profit, and his profit is just barely enough to buy a sandwich. And the other guy might be making a lot more profit. Which one makes more of a profit depends on which one is in the stronger bargaining position. Usually the richer one is the one who's in the stronger bargaining position. He'll say, oh, I don't really need this trade right now. I could go and trade with somebody else, or I'm not in a hurry. And the guy who's poor, he said, he says, well, I need this trade because I'm hungry and my kid is sick and uh, the rent is due. I, I, and I don't have anyone else I can trade with, so I need to make this deal. And so I will even accept on somewhat unfavorable terms. Yeah. And that's the way all trade works, since trade is bigger help to the guy who's already ahead. And so he gets more ahead. And so trade increases inequality. And the inequality we have in our society today is enormous, just huge. Yeah. And it's getting bigger. And it's, that's not just an accident that the tr uh, inequality has gotten bigger. It's built into the system. As long as we're not sharing, we're, we're trading. And the question of how do we allocate if we share, uh, I would say you want to get away from mechanical rules that try to come up with a formula. What you need is a vision of a caring society. I think it's probably close to what Dr. King called the beloved community, although quite honestly I haven't studied that, so I'm not entirely sure what he meant. But I mean, if you just had a society that, where people care about each other, then you would give people what they need, and they would give you what they can. I mean, it rather... The person who cares about the community will give what he can to the community, and the community that cares about the person will give that person what they need. Uh, yeah. and Mark said it pretty well. Mark said, from each according to ability to each according to need. And when you phrase it that way, there's no connection between what you produce and what you need. I mean, really, there is no connection. How much, you need, how much a person needs varies from one person to another. And how much a person is able to produce varies from one person to another. And there's no correlation between the two. A person who has great needs may not be able to produce much, or maybe a person who has few needs may be able to produce a great deal. Uh, if we care about each other, then we're not paying attention to the one when we're deciding about the other. So how do you, how do we get people and this may seem like a basic question, but watching the news lately and hearing about families being separated at the border and then seeing the reaction from, you know, people, how do how do we get people to care about one, one another? Um, to say, you know, oh, this is just... I guess what I'm yeah, saying I, is a lack of empathy. Yeah, yeah I, I've got a couple of thoughts on that. I don't have a complete answer. I've got a couple of thoughts. One is just to get more people talking about it. I think that does help, get more people talking about these issues. And the other thing is there's a book that I read a few years ago that I think really has a lot of insight. It's called The Authoritarians, and it's written by a psychologist. The author, is his name is Bob Altenmeyer. The book is available free on the web. If you just Google the phrase, The, Authorit the Authoritarians, You'll find it pretty quickly. And this guy talks about the mindset of people who believe very strongly in the importance of authority. The people who believe, and I would put it this way, most of us believe that if, if there are any laws, the laws should serve the people. 
The authoritarians believe the people should serve the law, which is, you know, the other way around. It's like uh, you're there to, to do what the law says. And uh, so the, they're, they're not very uh, empathic or forgiving. They just they, they have this idea about order, and they want order maintained. Uh, law and order, that's, that's a phrase that's popular with them. Anyway, their their whole psychology was investigated by this guy Altemeyer. He he did experiments with what is it with surveys? He did, he did surveyed a lot of people. He got people to play role playing games. Mm-hmm. He did all sorts of experiments in this way to find out just what kinds of mental processes are connected with uh, with what other kinds of mental processes. And then he came up with a pretty good idea about what authoritarianism is. And uh, I have a little joke I made up about authoritarians that might convey some of the idea, which is three authoritarians are shipwrecked on the beach of what appears to be an uninhabited island. What is the first thing they do, even before looking for food or water? What's the first thing they do? And the answer is they elect a president. (laughs) And that's, that's authoritarians. And uh, being authoritarian is a little, a little bit like uh, being a fascist. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the definitions I've heard for fascism, one of the short definitions, is it's the belief that it's right that the strong should rule the, wit- the weak. Mm-hmm. And that's not quite the same as authoritarianism, but it's close. So these are ideas that I don't like. I mean, authoritarianism and fascism, I don't like them. I think if more people talked about them and thought about them, more people wouldn't like them either, and they would think about what to do about them. So I'm just trying to get more people to talk about all these things. Yeah. Okay. And I'm also trying to get them to talk about it, so hopefully we can see some changes. Thanks oh, so much. Wait. For, yep, you have wait, yeah, yeah, give the, the web address for my website. It's okay. uh, le- leftymathprof.org. So that's L-E-F-T-Y. M-A-T-H-P-R-O-F dot org. Perfect. And I'll put that in the notes as well and make a note of it too. There you have it, folks. If you want to listen to the full unedited uh, audio clip of this full conversation, you can do so on my website. It's I-T-S-T-H-E-M-A-R-Q dot com. It's themark.com. And there you can go and listen to every single word that was said during this conversation because the last thing that I want to do is take anything out of context. Thank you for listening. And I believe that it's the conversations like this that will help us become a better society. And if you like what you heard, I... It would implore you to please visit my website. It's themark.com, I-T-S-T-H-E-M-A-R-Q.com. And join my mailing list and donate. Please donate. Thank you. Have a great day.